Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we are motivated this week. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. We can do it! Yeah, I don't know if we're that motivated, but okay. Um, We're talking about gaming motivation, just because it's been on our list for a while. We want to talk about, like, why, basically why we play different types of games. And we didn't really know how to frame the conversation. We just started doing our show notes. And then we kind of broke it down into, like, different motivations that drive us or don't drive us. And that seems to maybe be the way to tackle this, right? Yeah, and I was thinking a little bit on the way home that we didn't even talk, we didn't even write down the idea of why we play video, like gaming motivation, we didn't even talk about why we play video games as opposed to other kinds of entertainment and media that takes our time up. So there's a lot that we could be talking about. Oh, that one's easy for me. It's more interactive. Like I knew I mean, that's what it would be. As soon as as soon as I thought about it, it's going to be super simple. On yours, it's going to be yeah, I can do stuff. It's interactive. That that's that's all it is. You're not just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, I would say in terms of interactivity, like video games, number one, and then reading is number two because it actively takes you like using your brain, and then everything else falls after that. So like TV and movies, this is probably why they fall way down my list. Like I'm exhausted at the end of a day. Like I work really hard. And I have two kids. And by the time that I sit down to have like adult time for the night, um, if I don't do something that actually like engages my brain, I'll just fall asleep. Like if I try to watch shows yeah. and movies like I I can, I can maybe watch an episode or like half a movie in a night, but I'll end up like falling asleep on the couch, which is something that I never would have happened before I had kids. But now it happens all the time. And it's and like you and I are so different on that. I fall asleep on the couch all the time. That's that's a nightly thing for me, just about about eight thirty or nine o'clock. I'm just lying there watching Dick Van Dyke or just something silly. And I'm like, ooh, sleepy time. And I yeah. just pass out. I guess I just don't like to turn off my brain like that. I like to keep yeah. my brain like actively engaged. So I would rather play a game because I if I play a game, I can stay up late and still like get a decent amount of sleep and be fine and awake the next day. Whereas if I do something more passive, I'm much more likely to go to bed early and sleep longer and then feel exactly the same the next morning. Just have like less time to myself the night before. So that's part of the balance, I suppose. And I have to not do interactive things. That was one of the things that made me think about this was because I can't do interactive stuff right before bed. It wires my brain up to constantly think about that to where I don't sleep well right before it. So for me, gaming is an early morning thing when I'm getting ready to go to work or, or just kind of relax that way or after I've run just to kind of chill that that way or a break during midday. But I can't do it late, late at night because it disturbs my sleep uh, and then I will just constantly be amped up and I disturb Jennifer's sleep that way because I used to start having all of these really crazy dreams and like lucid moments of just as I'm falling asleep and like I tried to convince her that the door was moved and I kept trying to to like con- like I was one time I was lying over the side of the bed and I was like Jennifer 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 I need I need you to turn on the light and she was like no you're just dreaming I was like no no i'm not just just turn on the light do me a favor turn on the light and she turned it on and i was looking around she's like are you okay i'm like there was this giant red and yellow bug and she's like oh my god you tricked me again and it's it was from me staying up 
and playing video games r- until literally the the moment before I went to bed, just walking from the other room and collapsing, that I realized I had to stop doing it right before bed, and I've moved into the reading before bed now, so that I can still have that entertainment as opposed to not doing anything, but it's, it is... It is not something I can do because of the interactivity, but that's what I love about in the mornings. It gets me woken up and I can just do stuff instead of just feeling lethargic. Yeah, and this might be like a morning person versus night person type of thing, too, because I'm I'm totally a night owl, and I know that you are a morning person, um, even oh, yeah. though a lot of days I'm waking up before you now just because of the nature of my job. <laughs> um, it's right. still, like, at the core of me, I am a night owl, and, like, I my brain does not work in the morning. Like I do everything the night before so that in the morning I can automate my routine because I know that I'm essentially a zombie. Like my wife used to make fun of me for it before we lived together for super long. But like, I don't talk in the morning. I don't interact. Like I, I can barely think. So my entire morning from the point where I wake up until I like start working for the day is like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And the entire thing, I do exactly the same every day and don't deviate from it. And it's just like complete and utter autopilot. And even Mm. on the weekends, like I won't play a video game until I would say it's very rare for me to play something before noon. And even then, if I do, it's probably like 10 o'clock. Like I won't play anything early morning because I'm just not awake enough. Like my brain's not functioning yet. Yeah, that and mine, I am always going in the mornings. That's the best time for me to run, to play a game, to write and work. That once noon hits, that's that once noon hits, I am done. That I have afternoon slump just where it goes straight down. And I'm I'm good in the morning. So yeah, I, I like getting that kind of, of interactivity gone in the morning, doing anything I can before my brain shuts down later on. Yeah, and, like, I I will routinely, well, not routinely, but I will often play games until, like, right before bed, and it could be super late. Like, I'm, if you give me a couple days off of work, I will fall into my natural sleep pattern, which is sleep until about 10 a.m. and then stay up until about 3 a.m. That's right for me. Which So I'm getting, like, seven hours of sleep still, which is about what I get right now when I'm on a work schedule. I just, I have to force myself to go to bed earlier so I can get up early for work. But yeah, I mean, you give me like an extended holiday and I fall into that, you know, 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. sleep pattern just easily. Like that's what I did through almost all of college and it was perfect. I love that. Like I am so productive between the hours of say like 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. Like when everybody else is sleeping, that's like my prime hours. I love being awake then. Oh, that would destroy me. I think that might actually destroy my mental health and physical health that uh doing that because i am i you can get me up at five o'clock in the morning and i'm great i'm good i can't remember the last time i slept past seven the idea of sleeping till 10 is foreign to me at this point yeah but how late do you stay up like that's the other uh, end of it 10 ish i usually read until 10 30 or 11 ish right and like i don't go to bed before 11 if i do uh, i'm probably like i had a crazy week and it's like the fourth day of my week and i'm exhausted or it's it just something else crazy happened like i'm sick or something if those yeah. things aren't true like i don't fall asleep before 11 most nights i'm probably falling asleep uh around midnight maybe a little bit after that's uh, but that's because i have to wake up at like 5 45 the next day so yeah it totally depends i mean work throws me off but i would rather be 
awake at night whenever possible. And that's why it's hard for me to game online at night with people, too, is because I am lying in bed between 930 and 10 that I might be awake on my on my Kindle reading, uh, but not on my phone and not at my computer. But I'm there chilling and doing something like that but i i can't i can't game or play it late at night like that because i have to be in bed just to keep it keep everything normal and going that's interesting okay well sleep tangent side thing that we just did that was interesting though um let's let's get into some of the main bulk of this so we kind of broke it down like i said by different reasons that we do things and there are obvious differences between us, but let's just start at the top. So we put like story and narrative, and I think this one applies to both of us. I mean, yeah, this is definitely one of the reasons that I play games. Um, I fall into it sometimes, and when I do, it's usually very hard. And especially after I hit a tipping point in a game where I've like mentally decided that, yes, I'm going to finish this, that's the point where I could be hooked even if like the mechanics and the rest of the gameplay aren't keeping me involved. Um, I will stay with it to finish a story. And I guess a recent example of this, because it makes it easier with examples, would be like Mass Effect Andromeda. Like, I was so invested in the Mass Effect series. Um, I still had that story hook, even though I didn't really like the story of Andromeda all that much. But just because I was so invested in that world and that universe, I finished it even though I didn't really like the mechanics beginning to end. I mean, it was serviceable, it was fine, but I didn't think it was that great at any point but I still beat it. And I'm pretty close to the same way where story is my number one reason to play a game. It, I, I've always been an RPG guy, like we've talked about forever. You know, both of us are JRPG guys, and it's that story that draws me in, that no matter what else is going on, if there is a great story, I will probably deal with bad mechanics, like you said. But if the story is terrible or completely lackluster, just missing in a game, that is narrative driven i mean obviously i'm not looking for an epic epic in mario 64 Uh, i'm not expecting a jrpg style story there but if the mechanics are passable and the uh and the story is terrible or i just can't invest in it i just stop i can't i can't push forward unless the mechanics and the gameplay is phenomenal because like xenoblade chronicles x the gameplay was fine. It played kind of, you know, it was an RPG, did everything right. It played kind of. The battle system was interesting, felt a little bit like Kingdom Hearts to me and, and the way you battled with the menu and the real time. But I didn't like it enough to not care at all about what story was being told. So I just bounced off of it where certain games like Breath of the Wild surprised me how invested I got into the story of it because of the way that it was told that that was a driving force for me to continue playing and the mechanics were awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's it's super fantastic. But it was that narrative that really made me want to find out more. It kept me going forward where i might have given up just on some exploration if it wasn't there yeah and i mean we should probably just get into exploration then too like i love exploration and it but some people love exploration for the sake of exploration and that's not me i'm i'm kind of like that in the real world like when i go out and explore i just i enjoy it but in a video game I'm not that way. I have to have some kind of goal to the exploration. Like, I like the exploration when it has a purpose. And 
you know, I rarely, if ever, will spend time in a world just to spend time there. And I've heard yeah. other people say that they do that. And I, it's just not something that appeals to me at all. I'm not going to just be in a world to be in a world. Like, if I'm doing that just to take in the sights or whatever, I have the real world. It's right outside my door. Like, I can go do that, you know? Um, even though, I know, it's different worlds. It's, it's a virtual. But mm-hmm. it's still just, like, it's not something that drives me to play the game. But... Breath of the Wild scratched the itch for me in terms of exploration. And it's interesting because it was exploration to like improve your character, make yourself better, so that in the end you can defeat Ganon and beat the game. And it's yes. like there were lots of little dopamine hits throughout it. You know, you can get the Korok seeds, you can get all of the different shrines. And I liked all of those. And th- those were designed very well. It was very fun. It kept me hooked. But the thing is, as soon as I beat Ganon, I haven't gone back to that game. Just me either, and it makes like, me so sad because I wanted to. That that I still want to, but I beat Gan, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'll wait on expansions in the DLC. Right, and it's like the exploration was in the service of making Link stronger so that I could beat Ganon. And once I did that, okay, mission accomplished. Like, there's no other goal besides just finish it by checking all the boxes. And that's not compelling to me. Like, I don't want to explore just to explore. And even with the cosmetic upgrades that you get with the Tunic of the Wild for finishing out and finding all the shrines, it wasn't enough for me to find, for me to finish out, because I'm not that much of a collector, even though I love collecting while I'm doing it. And the exploration is super fun i will log into a game just to run around and see what is what is being done and expanded on like pretty much anytime one of my favorite games gets a new area i'll resubscribe and want to see what's going on for a while with a new content patch or something like that it's what drives me crazy that i haven't played final fantasy 14 and as long as i have because i've never seen the heavensward stuff and i want to see like mog home and the areas like that 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 i haven't been able to experience because i do love those worlds and i love running around and experiencing it while i'm going through and even just running around is fun sometimes i've done that in mmos quite a bit of just going back and experience like hey i'm in i'm in ashara again Woo! i had good memories here that's so funny because i've literally never done that ever have you not no it's i don't feel the need to do that and you're talking about heaven's word like I I really liked Final Fantasy fourteen. I really liked Heaven's Word, and the setting was cool. Like I liked it. That's that's a true statement. I did like it, but <laughs> I played that until I got to the end of the story content, and I beat the expansion, and then I stopped. Like as soon as I experienced the end of that story, the end of the content they had, I run everything once. I was done. Like that's that's my end game state. I guess once I've seen everything that it has to offer, like I don't go back to. Uh, part of it is like the gear grind like that collection yeah. which is another thing that we have in here like the you know motivation to collect things i don't have that either so between not just wanting to be in a world to be in a world because that's not who i am and not feeling the need to collect things or like look cool at end game which is a lot of people's end game that's right. probably why i bounce off of mmos once i've completed the story and if there's good content like if there's stuff i haven't seen yet or there's a good story to dig into, I will gladly play it. Um, and I actually am. I resubscribed this week, but I'll talk about that in Geekery. Um, but And one thing I think is interesting about exploration is it depends on the world itself and the property of the game. Because like DCUO, uh, 
DC Universe Online was the MMO uh, that was on PlayStation 3 for a while. It was PC. I'm not sure if it's even on PS3 anymore, but it was the DC Comics MMO, and my wife loved it. She just fell in love with DCUO when we had it on the PlayStation, when we first got the PS3. And she loved it for so many reasons that she was a superhero. She was getting to interact with Superman and Wonder Woman. She was getting to do all of this stuff. But more than anything else, she flew around Metropolis and got to find the Daily Planet and stand on top of it. That she flew her character to stand on the 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 Daily Planet's globe on top of it and would find the LexCorp building and just things like that would just make her day. I would come in there and she was just standing at the top of a skyscraper spinning the cer- spinning the camera in a circle around her character and be like, this is so pretty. I'm, I'm finding things. And eventually that wore off once she, once she had found it and done that for so long and the content they were putting out at different holidays wasn't engaging her anymore. And the gear grind as well. Well, she did not like gear grind, but the exploration is and the experiencing of the world is what drew her into that game. So if there's a property, I've done that with Star Wars games. That's what did it in the Old Republic for me was like, I'm in Narshida. Woo. And and just I want to see all this stuff. I want to see the uh, Sarlacc pit and on Tatooine and I would run off and find it. I explored a lot in the Old Republic just for the sake of it, but it wasn't enough to keep me playing the game. Okay. I mean, sometimes I will set something for myself as a goal. Like, Hey, I want to see this, but it's usually like, I just want to see it once really quick. Like I, it's never, Mm. I never go back in the world to be like, Oh, I need to be here again. It's like the one time that's all I need. Just one new unique experience and I'm done. (laughs) Um, but I want to hear more about, I mean, I kind of said like how I feel about collection. I'm interested in what you feel because you have like MMO, which is one type of collection, but then yeah. you're also more into the toys to life than I am, which is a totally different type of like collection motivation. And I see those as two different kinds of collection, I guess, in my mind, where like the toys to life stuff, I've really moved out of at this point uh, because Disney Infinity failed and I haven't gotten into any of the others. And I've realized how expensive it is to really do yeah. because but I love toys. I love stuff sitting around like that. And those I would always be looking for sales. I was always looking for some kind of deal. And so it was hitting, like you said, that dopamine rush where I was like, oh, I found this really cheap. I can get three of them today for the same price I would get for one. And it was it was fantastic in that regard. But then it's just piling stuff up and I don't have room for it. And so you know how that are. That So you know how that are. <laughs> so you know how that kind of thing is. But... MMOs are the worst culprits for collection for me because I never want to get rid of something that I worked really hard for. That whenever I've raided for something or I've done a long quest, if I've crafted it, I'd never want to physically get rid of that item. And I say physically in the virtual way, I never want to get rid of the actual item even if it is saved on my character as, say, a transmogrification or glamour or some sort of appearance item, I never want to get rid of the the item itself because I worked for it and I have something to show, which is weird because I don't do that in offline games. I'm like, I'm going to throw this stuff away if it's a single-player game. But, man, if it's an MMO, I just keep everything. You should see some of my characters' banks that, that I just—they're they're terrible. 
I bet. No, for me, it's like I get rid of that stuff left and right. I have no sentimentality attached. Just like, whatever, I'm done with that. I have better gear now. And I've tried to do that now that I'm playing WoW again. I've tried to clear out and get rid of some stuff. And then I look at some of the items that I know that I collected 13 years ago when I started playing this game that were within the first year of me playing. And like a Drake Fire amulet to get into Anixia's Lair and some of the Aqual Quintessence, I believe, from. Um, uh, molten core and i just i can't i cannot get rid of it my nixia scale cloak to raiden bwl i was like i can't i cannot get rid of this stuff where even though i have the appearance i have let's say like my benediction and uh, anathema or anathema the the priest staff that you do the epic quest for early on that you could do i have the appearance saved i can transmogrify it onto anything i do and i do quite often but I'm not getting rid of that item because you can't get it anymore. I never wear the item. Don't get me wrong. I'm never going to run around with that staff on, but I have it, and it's silly. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you want to get rid of those items, give me your login, and I got it for you. It's no problem. But no! outside of that, I would say, like, I guess the only reason that I would keep something like that, I, I don't have the same attachment that you do, Um. I'm thinking of one specific item in Final Fantasy XIV, and I only keep it for the appearance. Like, if I could get the appearance and sell the item, I would in a second. Um, But it's not a whole gear set or anything that I worked super hard for. There's one hat that you get as part of the Bard quest. That's my main in Final Fantasy XIV is Bard. Right. And when you actually do, like, the job quest to get your job, the advanced level jobs, you get a whole set of armor that has a cool look Mm -hmm. to it and, like, a special weapon. You played enough to get that far, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I finished everything out and did all of the raids in Realm Reborn, except for just the, I want to say, last two content patches. Okay, so, yeah, when you do the, the job class quest... And you get your full set of whatever. It, it's basically the stereotypical look and feel of that class from the Final Fantasy series, which is really cool. And I didn't even hold on to most of the gear, but the hat for the bard falls down in front of your eyes in such a way that most of the cutscenes in the game make it so that your eyes are hidden when you're supposed to be looking at other people. And I find it hilarious. So <laughs> every time I get a new piece of headgear, I always glamour it to go back to that. I think it's called the Coral Chapeau. Um, It's just like the level, I think it's level 30. It might be level 50, whatever. I think it's 50 if it's the one at the very end because they change the appearance from the original ones. Yeah, it's whatever the bard class is, like that main bard class quest. And I just think it's hilarious that like when you're supposed to be making very dramatic eye contact with other people, there's a hat in the way. I just, I can't get over how much I love that. Besides that, I have no sentimentality to anything <laughs> in MMO in terms of gear, but that hat, man, it's so good. That's that's awesome because I don't like the way the hat looks in general. That was one of the ones that I, I know exactly what, what hat you're talking about. And I had a friend who... Uh, who played a bard for most of it and absolutely wore the death. He just wore that hat all the time. And I'm like, we need something else. No, you don't. That hat is perfect. But, um, other things outside of collection, I know you also had social on here, which kind of goes with MMOs. So for me, um, it's not really a huge motivating force, especially in MMOs. Like I said, MMOs, I get sick of the gear grind. I get sick of the end game, the way they try to hook you on that, you know, like rat race type of thing. So I, I really like 
playing them with people when I have other people around, but I don't go into an MMO for the social experience. Like if I get it, that's a nice to have, but it's not something that actually motivates me to play an MMO. But on the other side of it, there are games that I specifically play with people, like especially my brother. My brother and I, like we will play games together and it's not super often because we both work a lot. But there are games that it's like if I see him in that game or he sees me in that game, it's fun to jump in together and just like do that because there's another person there. And like even this last weekend, and I'll talk about this when we get to uh, Geekery, but I was playing some player unknown battlegrounds with him and a couple friends. And that was really cool because it was social, not necessarily. Well, the gameplay is interesting, too, but it was mostly because it was social. And that was the fun part. Yeah. And I I'm the same way with MMOs. Actually, I don't go in looking for the social aspect anymore, but it's wonderful if I get it. And that will make me stay somewhere. If I was going to bounce off of it for any reason, the social can keep me there because I like the people I'm playing with right now. My wild guild is really awesome. And I like those people. I talk to them. And like I've said before, that's keeping me playing beyond when I've probably would have left before uh much to you know my wife's chagrin on that one where she doesn't necessarily like me playing world of warcraft because i've I've had a lot of issues with uh gaming addiction and bad mental health stuff that uh that compulsions that uh pretty much only manifest with world of warcraft because it's been such a long steady regular part of my life but the social aspect of it keeps me playing it longer um wildstar there's a great group uh that gg chestnut on twitter got me into that she plays with just wonderful people and whenever i log in they're there and it was really funny i logged in one day and this guy was talking about that he had just downloaded uh, some books on amazon and uh, we were just kind of talking about it and he had downloaded my book that uh, he had bought my books that morning and had started reading them and i was like wow what a coincidence is that that you just randomly picked up my book when we were talking about them. i was like good job dude where it made me really happy where that kind of coincidence uh has only happened one time before to me yeah and like i I mean, there are people that I like being social with. It's just rarely tied to a game. So, like, yeah. I know, like, that one for you is tied to Wildstar. Whereas, like, for me, I have a guild in Final Fantasy XIV, and they're awesome people, but they're awesome people outside of that game, too. Like, it's right. Bel- um, you know Belgast on Twitter. Oh, and, like, yeah. The extended group around him, I'm kind of on the fringes of it, but those people are all fantastic. And I talk to them on Twitter. I talk to them, like, in the blogosphere for, of what's left of it. Um, you know, we talk in terms of like podcasting because a lot of them podcast and we podcast. I am in a Slack channel with a bunch of those guys and I'm into the guild in Final Fantasy 14. So the fact that those guys and girls are awesome is like outside of FF14. It just happens to be that I play with them when I do play and I enjoy all the time that like I run dungeons with them and do group content with them. But again, it's not like like that's not why I'm going into the MMO or yeah, it's just that, like those people. I have other ways to talk to them, too. So I value the social part of it separate from the game part of it. That makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, I guess also along the MMO line is sandboxes. And I kind of wondered yeah. where you fall on this these days, because a pure sandbox does nothing for me. Like I will get bored in. It, it depends on how complicated the sandbox is, but maybe an hour, maybe less, maybe two hours, like at the the most, like the outer edges of it. It's just kind of like. I need goals and direction and something to work towards 
Otherwise, like, why am I wasting my time in a sandbox? I have better things to do. Sandbox games are the number one thing that I want to love. The idea of them is perfect. It's it, it's like communism, where on paper, everything works out wonderfully, and it's just so much fun. You're creating everything that you could ever want, and it is just great. And then... I play them and it takes about an hour to an hour and a half. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I don't play these. It's like I'm bored now. Okay. And it's not it's not that there's not things to do. Don't get me wrong. I am a very creative, very kind of hyperactive person. It's like I can do stuff, but it's like, OK, there's I've done stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm done. I've seen what I need to see about this. And the only sandbox that's really ever uh, resonated with me isn't even a true sandbox, but it was Star Wars Galaxies where there weren't quests. There weren't there wasn't an economy. There weren't really vendors. Everything was player run. There weren't towns in the world. The players created them where you sit me down in something like that. And I adore it. Star Wars Galaxies and Ultima Online, where so much of it is player driven, I can consider that a kind of sandbox where there's just an infrastructure for you to, uh, or well, not even infrastructure, where there's just this framework for you to play with and make your own impact on the world. I'm great with, but when it comes to actually just being sandbox, I can't. And I bet, I think, like, I do myself a disservice in some ways when it comes to early access games, because if something gets enough hype, I will try it. And a lot of the uh, time yeah. in early access or alpha or beta or whatever that particular developer wants to call it, um, a game is basically a sandbox. They haven't put in all of the things around it that give it structure and goals to work towards. It's just like, here's the sandbox, find the fun. We're still working on it. And right. if I get into one of those games and then I see that it's just a sandbox, I will often just kind of like play, like I said, I'll play around for a half hour, maybe two hours at maximum, step away from it and never come back to it. And yes. I'm thinking about like Kerbal Space Program. That's a game that I would probably love. And I think that they have patched in a bunch of content and like tutorials and things to do and goals to work towards. But when I touched that game, all it was was like the physics engine and you could like make rockets and take off, but there was no direction. Yeah. And I and have never been back to that game. I can't play Kerbal. I had two work studies who who were my students for years who played Kerbal religiously. They brought laptops, came in, played it. I saw so much Kerbal with Jake and Kyle. It was awesome watching them. It was hilarious watching some of the stuff that they were doing and building and the projects that they put together. It made me really happy. And I knew looking at it from the moment that I saw it, I would hate it even though I love the idea of it. It is just not something, not something I can do. Kind of the same way with Sims. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of not the Sims, but just Sims simulation games. Love the idea of it. Will never play them because I have the attention fly the attention fly of of a span. Perfect the attention span of a fly. Yeah. I, I, okay. Got it. Um. I guess another one in here that we want to talk about was just like unique mechanics, like games that are really truly doing something new. I. I really appreciate that. Like, that's one of my motivations for gaming is seeing new things. So if somebody has a game with truly a new, unique mechanic, I want to try it. Like, I might not beat that game. I might not play it for super long, but I do want to sample it, and I'm willing to pay money to do that. Um, but even if it becomes like a smash hit or a cult classic or something, that doesn't mean that I'll be interested in the sequel if they don't 
like refine it and make it into more than it is and actually like turn it into a really good cohesive game if it's just one mechanic or one gimmick like even if it's interesting sometimes it needs more than that so that's kind of where i fall on it like i am willing to pay money to experience them but it doesn't mean that i'll love the whole game or that i'll even play the whole game and I mean, what was the game that you played that was all in bullet time? The I want to say it's Hot Streak, but I know that's super not hot. it. Super hot. Uh, I want to play Super Hot, and it's not. I don't want to play it enough to really pay for it, so I'm waiting on it to be like one of the two seventy five to four ninety nine Steam games, and then I'll play it because the gimmick sounds really cool. But I know that I will not play it nearly as much as I should to get any amount of value out of it above that. Because I just want to see the mechanic. Superhot is, is, it is really good. I like that game a lot. And actually, there's a rumored Steam sale coming up in like a week. So keep okay. that in mind. So I'll see, wh- I'll see what it's what it costs then. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like Portal. Portal was awesome. And it had, obviously, you know, industry-changing mechanics where everybody knew that the cake was a lie. And never played Portal 2. Just didn't care. I was like, okay, I've seen I've seen what Portal does. I've played through it. It's like, yep, cool deal. Never played Portal 2. Portal 2 is Didn't really care. good. And I'm sure a, it is. That's a I'm big sure it's fantastic. on your part because but, of the story. It's not, it's not, I mean, they improve on the mechanics. They iterate on the mechanics and that part is fine and it works and is good and it's amusing the first time. But that second game is about the story and it's a really, really good storytelling in a very interesting way. Really? See, I, I don't know anything about it. Like weirdly enough, as far entrenched in all of this that I am, Portal 2 was just one of those that, passed me by because I'll, I don't know anything about it other than it's Portal 2. So I'm like, eh, more of the same mechanic I've already played. Yeah, whereas like Portal 1 is here are these groundbreaking mechanics and there's this story on the side and the story became kind of a cult classic, yeah. um, which is more than a cult thing now. Now everybody knows Portal. Right. They they've realized that for Portal 2 and the mechanics are still there and they're still good and they're solid. And like, like, like I said, it's good gameplay, but... The story becomes, I don't want to say front and center, but the story becomes the more important part of that game in Mm. Portal 2, whereas the story is like secondary in the first game. Does that kind of make sense? It does. And that that kind of, how can I even put this? That is exactly the kind of thing that would make me play a game that didn't even improve on the mechanics, where even if they didn't iterate on it, Knowing now that they enhanced a weak part of the game means that they're not just putting out the exact same thing and trying to capitalize on that one mechanic and that one good idea that they had. No. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not at all. That's why I think you would really like Portal 2, honestly. I you, like You should get that game because I, it's really good, and then they also improve the gameplay mechanics. But the focus of... like. It, it's so weird because it's not that the story when you're playing feels like it takes more precedence it's just that in hindsight you can tell that they realize that like the story could become such a key piece of the puzzle in the game and they integrated it much better and they put a lot more thought into it and there's a lot more depth there and when i think back on the portal series i think about the amazing mechanics from portal one but i think about the story from portal two even though moment to moment in the game, they might not feel that different, which is kind of a weird distinction to make. It is, but that's exactly the kind of thing, like I said, that I would want out of a game. That that makes me excited. You know, you can pick up Portal 2 for like two bucks most of the time or less, so I'll, I'll keep an eye out. 
Yeah, and you should. Okay, and then the last thing in here that we had for motivation, and I'm sure there's tons and tons more we could talk about, but this is what we came up with for the week, um, was systems. Because this is one that I talk about all the time. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing, is because anybody who's listened to this podcast for more than five minutes has heard you say the word systems when you're talking about video games, and it just makes me laugh. Because, like, of course we saved this one for last. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of started with something that's most important to me, the story, and then I ended with the other thing most important to me, which is systems. Right. And it's just, I love games with interesting systems. Um, even if they're complex, it's like as long as they're designed elegantly and they work well together, I'm all in. You know, and it doesn't have to be complex. It can be simple systems. But if there are interesting systems to like get my mind into and just give my mind stuff to work on and like chew at in the background, like I thrive on that kind of stuff. And I love good systems, but I hate systems that try too hard. That whenever I play a puzzle game or an RPG where you can see that the developers are trying to be clever and don't know how to pull it off, it just makes me stop whenever I'm like... And I can't even think of a game off the top of my head that does this. I just know that in PC games, a lot of the indie games that I try, it's like, oh, you're trying to be clever. And I think there's one that I try called like Pixel Are You Squared? I think is like this super indie game made by a couple of people who are nearby here. Super nice people. Uh, I think they live in Huntsville. But the mechanics of the game were just like, I see where they're coming from. But they're entirely too complex. There's definitely a line there, and sometimes it's hard to figure out like which side a game falls on it. Like sometimes the systems are not complex enough, or too complex, or there's a lot there, and you can just tell they put in all this effort, but they're just not like elegantly put together, and it pushes you yeah. off of it. I mean, and the hard part is this line is different for lots of people. Like I think I'm more willing to jump into a complex system if it's interesting than you are. But yes. I think we both also have like refined taste enough to know when like in general the systems are working and or when in general they're not. Yeah, and the main difference being you're willing to learn it and I'm not willing to put in that time on something that might be bad. Yeah, I can totally see that. So, we might do more gaming motivations later if we think of other ones or if you guys have questions or comments or if there's things that were glaring that we missed and we just didn't think about send your emails and tweets and whatever but for the moment let's dive into the geeky offer of the week as we often do we have audible today you can go to audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast my book recommendation this week is golden sun it's the second one in the red rising trilogy uh. and i am in the middle of it right now it's not done yet so i can't tell you like in terms of the story where it goes or where it lands but I love the first book. I'm really enjoying the second book. I'm definitely hooked into it. And it's one of those audiobooks where the performance is transformative, which is what's something that I always look for. Um, there are audiobooks that I listen to and I don't recommend to you guys because it feels like someone's just reading the book to you. And that's not what I get out of Audible. The thing that I really like is when the narrator makes the audio version something more than the book version, the text version. And Golden Sun definitely does. I mean, between like all of the accents and different voices that the narrator does that just fit the characters, it is so well done. So I recommend Golden Sun, but you guys can get any audiobook you want and help out the podcast by going to audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast and get a free book. And with that, it's time for our week of geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What did you have 
Well, last week I had recommended gir- hashtag girl boss yeah. as the as the geeky offer, and I wanted to talk about the TV show and that audio book because it's very short. I still haven't finished it; it's only four hours long. But I, I'm about a quarter of the way through it. I've been listening just here and there while I've been working. Whenever I have something that I where I can pay attention to it, and the main character, the lady that this is Sophia Amoruso that this is based off of, Sophia Marlowe in the TV show on Netflix. I don't like her that as a person she is a train wreck and i know that i could not be this woman's friend i couldn't hang out with her I, she is you, you know you hear that 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 cliche of i could go out and have a beer with her or something like that that i mean even hamilton like uh, is making fun i was like aaron burr i could have a beer with him that that kind of thing I would not. I would end up punching this woman in the throat. And that is that is as nice a thing as I could say. Like, I, I don't like her, but I really like this show. I really like the people in it. I like the acting. It's compelling to me in a way that it takes place in 2006 to 2008. And that's how I acted in 2006 to 2008. And and take me at my word on this. I would punch 2006 to 2008 BJ in the throat if I had the opportunity. So that is, ex- I mean, be an equal opportunity here that I think I can relate to a lot of it of wanting to start your own business, of being that early 20s, not knowing what you're doing, finding something that you're good at and latching onto it, where I'm... I still latch onto that. It's kind of the dream that everybody has. And also she's selling things on eBay. So I'm like, I do that all the time. And it's, it's just really interesting to me where listening to it on, on audio is really different than watching the Netflix show. And I'm, Obviously it is, but uh, I'm a big fan of memoir, so it's interesting for me to see how they dramatized a lot of the just almost Passover passages in the audiobook. I still haven't, like, read it or watched it, but just what you were saying got me thinking. And, like, you do learn a lot about yourself and life and kind of the way of the world in your early 20s. So, I don't know. It's it's really interesting, but it, the, it well, is. the other one that I know you watched this because you were mad at me for getting <laughs> you to try it. You checked out Master of None, and that's also kind of in that vein of like figuring stuff out. It's a little bit later twenties. It's not early twenties, but it's it's kind of in the same vein, right? It is, except I like Master of None. I, I really like it, and I don't know why it feels so different but it is in that same vein but i like the characters i guess is why it feels different is that i watch master of none and i'm like oh aziz ansari and i can see him as aziz ansari playing a role in this one as opposed to where i don't have any preconceived notion of the other of the of brit robertson i think in uh, girl boss other than she was in tomorrowland but master of none is that same kind of figuring out what you're doing no just I don't know. I love that kind of story. Cool. Yeah, I really liked Master of None also. Like, especially, I thought season two was even better than season one. Have you finished season two yet? I haven't finished season one yet. Oh, I haven't okay. gotten through it. I'm I'm a few episodes in. We were watching a few of them, and it was so funny that we watched a couple the night that I sent you the picture. I was like, you won, uh, and uh, uh, or you convinced me. And then the next night, I was like, Jennifer, what do you, you want to watch something tonight? What do you want to do tonight? She's like, Master of None! Master of None! Master of None! And I was like, tell me how you really feel. It was, uh, because, and 
really, she said it like that. It was really funny because she was very much into watching it at that point. And we haven't watched it since that night. Uh, just, you know, life has happened. But I really want to get back to watching some of it. Maybe okay. tonight. Yeah, report back in when you finish it. And then I know you were watching a bunch of TV lately. You did I have been Handmaid's Tale, right? You finished, finished it? Finished up Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, they finished the first season and it is so good. Everyone out there needs to watch The Handmaid's Tale, except for you, because you would hate it. Uh, actually, I don't know if you would hate it that much. I don't know if you would like it, but I think that you need to watch it because they put a very, very strong emphasis on cinematography, like I've said before. But the finale is just so good. It It's interesting because as bleak and and i haven't read the book i actually picked up the new special edition audiobook off of audible recently so i could listen to it once the season of tv ended um i've seen people say that as bleak and hopeless as the tv show is it's even more it is more optimistic than the book is so that makes me Makes me very, very, very excited to see how bleak the the book is. Interesting. Yeah, my wife said that I might like that one. She watched the whole season and she really mm-hmm. liked it. So she said that she's like, I don't know. You should try it. You'll quickly figure out one way or another if it's for you. So I still intend to do yeah. that. But like I mentioned earlier, like TV and movies fall way down my priority list when it comes to things I do with my free time. So I will get to it at some point here. And make sure that when you do this, it is one that, like I said, I think it was last week, where you have to watch this. It is a quiet show where a lot of the character, where a lot of the characterization is done through the cinematography and acting, where it's not something that I at least can be looking at something else and get anything out of. Yeah, I mean, when I watch TV, I watch TV. That's another reason that I probably don't do it a ton, because I like being able to do a bunch of things at the same time. And if I'm into a show, like, that's what I'm doing, you know? Um, If it gets to the point where I'm picking up my phone when I have a show on, it's probably not a show that's actually holding my attention, which means it's probably not worth my time. Yeah. And then I know your last thing, you're still into WoW, right? Still into WoW, still playing it. I was really excited. The main thing is that they have finally put in heirloom items up to level 110. Oh, cool. So it has made leveling my mage absolutely delightful. It's not the grind that it was before. Just that that extra, I think I have an extra 50 or 60% XP from them. And it makes it so much, so much quality of life better. I don't, that's not even a phrase, but that's how, that's how much better it makes it. It is, it is way better with heirlooms. So I'm so glad they patched that in recently. I want to say it was last week they patched that in. So it's, it's been like absurdly recent that it happened and they're expensive. It, it takes 5,000 gold per piece to upgrade from, 100 to 110 as the max level and it's 2000 gold each to go from 90 to 100 so i spent i want to say i spent about 60,000 gold being able to do it and it was worth every penny i don't know if that's a lot or a little but okay it's a lot it's enough (laughs) okay well that's good that you're still liking it and having fun still enjoying it yeah um this week i guess i did a bunch of stuff i i'm still doing the fantasy movie league which is i don't know it's fine i don't know if i'm gonna do it again later just because like i thought that it would be more different from week to week 
but mm. movie releases don't come out that often. So it feels like a lot of the time the best strategy is to just pick the big new release for that weekend and then fill in with all of the biggest releases from the last two weekends. So it's not like a lot of strategy. It's just like, okay, here's the things I pick. I thought it would be more than that. So it's still right. interesting. It's still fun. Like I'd definitely finish out this summer season of it, but it's not as... um engaging as i had hoped that it would be although it is fun to do it like with other people so you can discuss every week which maybe that's the point of it instead and i'm just looking at it wrong um that's true yeah. where it's not necessarily like fantasy football in the dynamic changes that you can have on a team but it's it's about the people you're doing it with yeah and i also checked out the expanse season two because it was okay. on my list to get to eventually and i kept pushing off and it's it was kind of like meh like i wanted it to be good because i liked the first season enough there were parts of the first season i really liked and there are parts of the first season that i it's not that i hated them i just got bored like it wasn't doing enough i am in season one okay like and there were things that it it was just so predictable or it was a little bit too slow in some of the storylines and i'm like get back to the interesting characters or the interesting storyline and season two it looked like it was going to pick up with all the interesting characters in the middle of the interesting plot. And then it started jumping to other new characters. And I just, I couldn't like, I really wanted to. And I was just like, really like you, you can't stick with the interesting characters. Now that all the events of season one are done, you're going to introduce more characters and have to start them up from scratch. I just, I don't know. I didn't have the patience for it. So I bounced off of the expanse season two, unfortunately, even though I wanted to like it, but then I just read out, the books. I haven't yeah. read anything but the first one have you read leviathan wakes no i have it i it's on my list for eventually that's the reason that i started watching the expanse season one and i if you've made it through the expanse season one you really really need to read those books because you will absolutely love them because i absolutely love them and couldn't get through season one interesting okay i will have to give that another shot or maybe just bump it up my priority list for reading but okay i'll keep that in mind um the other show i watched was american gods and this is one that i went into with very low expectations because i bounced off the book pretty hard when i tried it really the setting just did nothing for me like okay the american setting and like prison and like i and i know they get out of prison very quick but something about that i I forgot that he was in prison i thought it yeah it was a mixture of like the writing style with the setting like the americana like almost modern day setting that i just (laughs) didn't like i've talked about this before like when i read it's escapism for the most part i don't want to spend time in modern day or close to modern day like if it's set in the real world, it better be far future or far past. Otherwise, you've kind of lost me most of the time. There are exceptions. So this one fell in there, and I just bounced off the book. So I went into the show not expecting anything, and I really like it. Like, even though it didn't work for me in book form, um, I like the setting in the show. I like the characters in the show, and I only watched episode one, but there was enough there that I'm very interested to see what happens next. So it doesn't mean that I'll love the season, but I definitely am going to watch more. And I've read the book three or four times. I love American Gods, and I haven't seen the TV show yet. I was waiting until the season ended so I could binge the entire thing. And I'm excited to see what they do with so much of it because I have such a 
I have such a specific idea of how things go in my mind that I'm not the kind of person who who bashes adaptations because I mean that was part of what I studied at was as a scholar was film adaptation but it's I don't know how they're going to handle some of these situations so it's going to be really interesting to see it on screen and I I'm kind of amazed that you bounced off the book like that. But but you do not like that setting, like you said. And for me, part of it was I knew that the final battle and just there's not even anything here that I'm, I'm really spoiling for anybody. But one of the final confrontations in the show takes place in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Rock City. And that was like a vacation spot for me as a kid. I went there as a small child. It's about four hours, three or four hours to the east of me. And to see that that was going to be a major climactic setting for this Neil Gaiman book, I was going to plow through the book and see how it went. And now I've gone back to Rock City since then and seen the place where all of some of this stuff goes down. And it's really interesting to me. So I'm going to be excited to see if they get to that in this season, Um, you know, filming on location and be like, I was there. I like it there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'll pick up the book again because I bounced off of it very hard. It was like, yeah. I don't think I made it two chapters. Like it was just, yeah. I mean, if he's still in prison, you didn't. No, it it was not a book for me. Um, but the show is good, so I'll, I'll keep watching. I'll report back. Um, I played a bunch of games, so I bought Arms for the Nintendo Switch, but I mostly bought it for my kids because like I wasn't super hyped for it after the test punch, and I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. It's still the same game that I talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but it just the one thing that my kids don't care about this, but it bugs me. It just doesn't have that much content in it. Like, it yeah. feels like for $60, the game should have more in it. And there's, like, one single-player mode where you fight your way through a bunch of opponents. It's it's not even a story mode because, like, there's no real story here. It feels like they made maybe an interesting world, but they hit it all in the background, and none of it is exposed to the end user, which oh, is frustrating. Yeah. Like, people do this sometimes. It's one of the reasons that, like, Destiny was so frustrating, too. Like, they wrote tons of cool stuff, apparently, but it's all hidden in these grimoire cards that I'm never going to read those. Um, so That's why Overwatch succeeded so hard is because they've done such a good job of tying that world into the game itself and outside. Yeah, so ARMS is, like, it's still fine. Like, it's it's another competitive multiplayer. I mean, it's Nintendo's take on a fighter, you know? Like, a fighting game... Nintendo made it. This is what it looks like. And my kids really like it. You mean Smash Brothers? Well, no, th- I would say 3D Fighter as opposed to 2D Fighter. Um, But like my kids really like it, so I don't regret buying it. But it's also like I played it for two nights after I bought it. And I'm like, I think I've kind of experienced everything this game has to offer. So yeah. I'm done with it, but my kids will keep playing it. That's fine. Um, and I got an email from Nintendo about it. And just from the promotional email that they sent out, I I came to the same conclusion that you did. I knew that this was not going to be a game that was worth $60 and that eventually it would be worth playing when someone else, with someone else who had bought it. Yeah, and it's weird because it kind of is in the same style of game as Splatoon. Like, they're trying mm-hmm. to make their own IP. They're trying to do their own twist on a genre that exists, but make it like the Nintendo version of that. And I really like where they landed with Splatoon. I'm really excited for Splatoon 2. Whereas ARMS just kind of, it it fell more flat for me and it doesn't feel like 
there's enough in that game yet to justify the costs, you know, of like the full price. So we'll see. Do you think that's because you like first person shooters so much and just the the arena style shooter like that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I I like third person action games too. So Eh. yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's arms. It is what it is. Um, I probably won't talk about it again after this. (laughs) But I did get back to Final Fantasy XIV, which I talked about a little bit up above in the main topic and like i'm not gonna get super into it but it just you know getting back into it i forgot how good the music is in this game yeah it's so pretty like it's it's the main final fantasy composer it's great like the music in this is such good and true final fantasy music and it took me a little bit to get back into it but i forgot how much the story in this game is just so good like this feels like more of a final fantasy story than anything since basically final fantasy 9 like all of the ones in between yeah they're final fantasy games but they don't have any of that traditional final fantasy feel to them like they are doing their own thing and that's fine i like those games for what they are like i've played all of them this feels like a return to form and i really appreciate that so i love the story in final fantasy 14 i did get caught I know you do. Um, I did get caught in the end game like gear grind, but I almost gave up. And then they patched in 4.0, which is like the patch for the new expansion. And when yeah. they did that, it converted all of the currency like down a level. Like it basically changed yes. the pricing and the currency for all of the end game stuff. And it went from me being super frustrated and stuck on the story to me being geared enough to do all the story straight through. In, oh great in like 20 minutes of me just buying stuff with the existing currency i'd built up so that patch if it had to have hit within a day or two of when it did i probably would have bounced off the game but it, it got there at just the right time so as soon as i did that and i was no longer like item level blocked i've just been playing through the rest of the story so right now I am almost at the end of 3.4 and the way the content patches went was 3.0 is heaven's word like the expansion just as it came out and that's what i had played up to um so right. the content i had to get through was 3.1 and then 3.2 3.3 3.4 and then 3.5 has two patches there's like 3.5 and then 3.55 those are all yeah. of the main content patches for the game and they bridge the gap between the end of 3.0 so heaven's word and stormblood which is the new expansion which is considered 4.0 and everything through 3.3 is like wrapping up the dragon song war which is the whole story of heaven's word so it was really yes. good to get back into that and tie up all the loose ends and then that slowly and it's very organic the way that it bleeds into the next set of story which is setting up for stormblood so okay i what in, is the story of stormblood i don't even know i don't know and i've left it that way on purpose because okay. if i were into the game like I had been in the past, I would have known beforehand. But like, right. I'm actually going into this pretty spoiler free in terms of the expansion. Like, I don't know what it's about. I have suspicions. I think that it's actually going to be about fighting the Garlean Empire, which would be great because that's it's cool, kind of yeah. kind of hinted at in A Realm Reborn, and it kind of comes back here and there. But you never really have a whole story about fighting them. I hope that's the way it goes, and I'm guessing based on what I've seen that that might be the way it goes, but I don't know for sure yet. So gotcha. I finished, or I'm just finishing 3.4, which is really the first content patch to get into 
um, bridging the gap between the Dragon Song War and whatever 4.0 is. And so I have two more content patches, and then I get to move on to Stormblood. So I'm really excited for that, and I'm enjoying it a lot. That's awesome. I'm glad that you got past that in-game gearing bump that you hit, because you told me that you had only played around three hours and had already gotten frustrated with it. That's why I was frustrated. um, I'm super glad. I was item level blocked. Like, it's just, it's really And that's awful. Yeah. Final Fantasy XIV is really bad about that, and... It's like coming in at the end of an expansion should not be the easiest place to come in and experience an expansion. But it is. It totally is. But it is. Yeah. It is. So, like, I actually probably did this the best way. I played through the whole expansion, and then I stopped, and then I came back right before the next expansion. And when I played through A Realm Reborn, it was exactly the same thing. I started A Realm Reborn about a month before Heaven's Word came out. So oh, I played wow. yeah, that's I played right. straight you did. through A Realm Reborn and right into Heaven's Word. Like I hit the end game within I wanna say like five days of the expansion coming out. So like I had a smooth transition from one into another and that's what I basically did this time too. I, I'm off by a couple days because a lot of people are deep into Stormblood already and I haven't started it yet, but within a week you know, within a week of it coming out. So yeah. I feel like this is probably the best way to do it. Um, I would not be surprised if I play through Stormblood up to the end of 4.0, and then I stop again until the next expansion comes out. Yeah. Um, it seems to work for me. Are you still playing the Bard right now, or are you trying any of the other classes? No, I'm still playing the Bard. If I do hit endgame, I usually jump back and I play some other classes up to endgame level just because I enjoy them. I like being a tank, I like being a healer, but not the first time through the content. Um, I like being... right my main class as I play through the content the first time. So I'll probably jump back and do some white mage or paladin or something if I hit end game, but we'll see. We'll see if I'm sick of it by then, if I'm ready to move on to the next game. There's kind of this like June, July slump of games. So now is probably a good time for me to be getting back into an MMO. And that's one of the, you know, you saying that playing through your main class is, is playing through with your main class is what you do. My main class was a white mage. And that's one of the reasons that I never did go back into it and push through because it's a lot harder to do as a white mage i feel at least it was at the time and where i didn't want to level up another uh, dps class with doing either bard or black mage like i'd thought about so i'd because i think my highest was around 36 at the time when the when 50 was the highest you could be so it was gonna have to be even more leveling so i i am jealous you did a damage class that you could do a lot better with (laughs) yeah and i mean they keep patching in more catch-up mechanics too so it's like yeah of course there are more excuses to get back into the game they are really good about making it easier to run old content and get old people like get new people through old content there's lots of incentives and we've talked about that before that but that could be a whole nother discussion on its own so the other thing that i did final fantasy related this week is the four job fiesta started and I know I've talked about this before, but if you guys weren't around last year, Final Fantasy V has a very intricate job system that is super fun. And if you haven't ever played Final Fantasy V and you're a fan of the series, you should. Because you will see a lot of classic Final Fantasy stuff there, but it's the first really good implementation of a job system in the whole series. So, with that being said, the four-job fiesta... Don't do it ever on your first playthrough. It's not the way to do your first playthrough of the game. (laughs) No, not at all. But if you have done a playthrough, this is a really fun way to do it with a community. And essentially what you do is you play up to the first crystal where you get your jobs and 
in the main way the game works, the systems of it, you unlock a bunch of jobs and you can equip them, you can learn skills from them, you can mix and match them and switch them out onto various characters whenever. With the four job fiesta, when you hit a crystal, you tweet at the bot that's set up for this event and it tells you one job from that crystal and that is the only one you can use and you have to use it. And then when you get to the second crystal, you tweet about the second crystal at the bot and it unlocks one more job. So then you have to keep at least one character with the job from the wind crystal and then have at least one with the job from the water crystal. And you do it all the way until you have four jobs and those are the only four jobs you can use for the entire game. It's really fun because it's a challenge and it makes you play the game differently every time. So you haven't beat this yet, have you? I, I don't I don't think so. No, I'm on the second crystal. So I did my initial run to the first crystal before it even started, which saves like 30 or 40 minutes when it does kick off. Um, the wind crystal job that I got was monk. So it was a lot of punching my way through to the second crystal, which is the water right. crystal. Um, and then I just unlocked time mage for my second job, mm. which is... Less useful, but it is good for haste and slow, and then maybe some endgame damage, but mostly haste and slow. So it's kind of like a lot of punching, and then I moved over to a lot of like fast punching, I guess, is where I'm at now. Yeah, there's, there are worse jobs that you could have. I don't know, you're fine. Like four Berserkers. Yes, you could do Berserker Risk if you want. That makes it more challenging. I have not done that yet, but maybe one of these days. So that's where I'm at. Um, I'm going to keep working on it. I'll play around with Time Mage and report back next week. The last thing that I did that was really fun was Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. And I mentioned this last week. Did you ever look into it? I did not. I completely forgot. Okay, so... It's on PC. It's early access. This is one of them that they said is going to come to consoles. That was the E3 announcement around it. It's basically like a scavenger shooter, but it's good. <laughs> like there are other games like this out there where you have to go around it dynamically pop. Well, not dynamically. There's a landscape. There's a map that's predefined, but the spawns of weapons and gear and items and stuff is random in all of the locations that it could be. So any building that you walk into, it could have guns in it. It could have a helmet. It could have like protective vests or different clothing or um, a backpack or a high level backpack, all that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's the setting, but the actual gameplay is there are a hundred people. You all get dropped into this arena. It's a giant map. Think like I don't know if it's Arma scale, but it's a really really big map, right? All right. And there's that scavenge mechanic. So you try to equip yourself and kill the other people, and it's the last one alive wins. So it's 100 people, giant battle royale, kind of like the Hunger Games, but with some scavenger mechanics mixed in. Hmm. And it's a shooter. I mean, it's like a third-person shooter, but you can click to aim down the sights and get like first-person view if you're trying to actually aim really precisely. The interesting thing about this game is that there are some random elements that really make this game amazing. So the first one is the map is the same every time. I'm sure they'll put in more maps later down the line. But the thing that changes is that the plane that brings you onto the map flies a different line across the map every time. And it's always okay. a straight line. But where that straight line goes from one side of the map to another can be from any angle to any angle. So you can never do the same drop into the map every time. And you, I got you. you pick when to jump out of that plane. So... There are areas that are like a military base or like a power plant, things that have lots and lots of possibility to have very good items in them, right? Like the military base yeah. in particular. Um, 
you can choose, like if the plane is happening to fly by that time, which it doesn't always, right? It's a random flight path. If it's going to fly by it, a lot of people are going to jump out at the military base. So you know you're going to get into fights right away. Or you could jump out in the middle of nowhere and parachute down. So that's up to you. And every time it's different because it's not always the same flight path. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, and this is the one that really makes the game, is that after a couple minutes, a giant white circle appears on the map. And it takes up about a fourth of the map. And it says, you have, I think it's five minutes the first time. But it's like, you have five minutes before the boundaries start closing in. So Hmm. there's a countdown where it gives you time to gear up or fight or whatever immediately around you. And then this giant blue electricity wall starts coming in towards the white circle. And it slowly closes in on it. And if it gets past you and you're not in that white circle, you start to take damage. And it's only a little bit of damage at first. But if you stay out there, you'll just die. So... It constrains the battlefield down to about the fourth of the size of the map. And then as soon as it finishes with that circle, another circle spawns inside of that one that's even smaller, and you have another couple minutes. And Hmm. every time one of these circles spawns, it's smaller, and the time limit is lower, so it it happens faster, Um, and the damage level of the electricity wall goes up. So as the game goes on, it brings everybody closer and closer and closer together, So the games never drag, which is my problem with a lot of those big giant map war games is they just drag on forever. And people just are kind of jerks about it and do hide out and turtle their entire their entire game. Yes, exactly. So that doesn't happen because it's impossible for it to happen. You constantly have to get back into the circle and you can get lucky. You can drop in a place and have the circles just keep constricting right on you. And that's kind of amazing. I had that happen one time that I played, but usually that doesn't happen. And like the circle is always within the bigger one, but it's not always in the center. It could be way off to the side. It could be at the top. It could be like, you know, part way in the middle. So it's not that you can go to the center of the very first circle and know that you're safe because that almost never works. There's this element of randomness to where the next circle is going to be inside of that Uh. one. So it's fun, like on a solo play, it's it's decently fun. It's okay. The real meat of the game that's amazing is playing duos or squad because okay. working with teammates in this game is so fun. Like you have to work together, you have to share scavenge, you have to help each other out and communicate and like okay, when do we have to go? When should we move to get inside the next circle? Um and then you're listening and you're covering each other and you're watching out. So it's um... all of these things that people in these type of games have talked about that it's amazing, but that element of the circle that's constantly closing in just changes the gameplay to the point where I actually like it and I'm not bored. Where all of those other ones, I was always bored. That's really astonishing. Yeah. So that's Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. And it's it's super hot right now. I guess it's blowing up on Twitch and on PC and everybody's talking about it. I finally got around to it and I really like it. I'm kind of surprised I like it, but I played with my brother and a bunch of his friends and it was a really good time. Um, I can easily see this game becoming an evergreen game for me, especially multiplayer. Wow. Like, I'm not going to play it solo evergreen, but I think anytime that I see somebody on Steam jump into it, I would gladly jump into a game with them. That kind of evergreen. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because there are a lot of games where I just like, eh, I'm not going to play this alone. I don't feel like doing it right now. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I'm having fun playing it alone right now because it's novel, but that part will right. wear off. I don't think the fun of playing this in a duo or as a squad is going to wear off. I think that has some serious staying power. And it is in early access right now, it says. So you can expect a lot more content. You can expect a whole load of improvements from where it is right now. And as you were saying earlier, you don't usually get a lot out of early access games that they can feel really sandboxy. So the fact that you like it this much already speaks well of what it's going to become eventually. Yes, I agree. So that's why I had to mention it. Um, If I play more of it or if they change things or I get some more sessions in, I will report back. But for now, just know that if you see this weird looking game called Player Unknown's Battlegrounds that's in early access, give it a second look. Even though at a glance, it doesn't seem like you should, you you definitely (laughs) should. I may have to look into this and uh, check it out on a Steam sale. Yes, if that Steam sale comes up next week. If they do a sale on this one in particular. I mean, 30 bucks isn't that bad for an early access game like this. If it were something I would actually play for a long time. Yeah, well, keep your eye on it. Yeah, I'm going to. I think that's it for this week. Uh, You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address, as always, is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have the longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geekcast And remember, folks, we are part of a podcast network. You need to be listening to each and every one of our shows because they're lovely, just like you are. And you can head over to geek to geekcastcom and see if we have anything that tickles your fancy. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And you can find me online at BJKeaton.com. We've been voiding Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. I'm still motivated. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So, join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah.